Chapter Two of Molly Brown's Freshman Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson. Molly Brown's Freshman Days by Nell Speed. Their neighbor. Molly Brown was the youngest member of a numerous family of older brothers and sisters. Her father had been dead many years, and in order to rear and educate her children, Mrs. Brown had been obliged to mortgage, acre by acre, the fine old place where Molly and her brothers and sisters had been born and brought up. Every time anybody in the Brown family wanted to do anything that was particularly nice, something had to go, either a cow or a colt or a piece of land, according to the needs of the moment. A two-acre lot represented Molly's college education, two perfectly good acres of orchard. If you don't bring back at least one golden apple in return for all these nice juicy ones that are going for your education, Molly, you are no child of mine, Mrs. Brown had laughingly exclaimed when she kissed her daughter goodbye. I'll bring back the three golden apples of the Hesperides, mother, and make the family rich and happy, cried Molly, and from that moment the three golden apples became a secret symbol to her, although she had not decided in her mind exactly what they represented. But, as Molly observed to herself, Anybody who has had two acres of winter sweets, pippins, and greenings spent on her must necessarily engage to win a few. Those two fruitful acres, however, while they provided a fund for an education, did not extend far into the margin, and there was little left for clothes. That was perhaps one of the reasons why Molly had felt so disturbed about the delay in receiving her trunk. I can stand traveling in this old brown rag for economy's sake, she thought but I would like to put on the one decent thing I own for my first day at college. I was a chump not to have brought something in my suitcase besides a blouse. However, what's done can't be undone, and she stoically went to work to remove the stains of travel and put on a fresh blue linen shirtwaist, while Nance Oldham, who had been more farsighted, made herself spick and span in a duck shirt and a white linen blouse. She had little to say during the process of making her toilet, and Molly wondered if, after all, she would like a roommate so peculiarly reserved and whimsical as this new friend. She hoped there would be lots of nice girls in the house of the right sort, girls who meant business, for while Molly meant to enjoy herself immensely, she meant business decidedly, and she didn't want to get into a playset and be torn away from her studies. As these thoughts flitted through her mind, she heard voices coming up the stairs. Now, Mrs. Murphy, I do hope you've got something really decent. You know, I hadn't expected to come back this year. I thought I would stay in France with Grandmama, but at the last moment I changed my mind, and I've come right here from the ship without engaging a thing at all. I'll take anything that's a single. The voice had a spoiled, imperious sound, like that of a person in the habit of having her own way. I have a single, miss, but it's a small one, and they do say you've got a deal of belongings. Let's see it. Let's see it quick, Granny Murphy. And from the noise without, our two young persons judged that this despotic stranger had placed her hands on Mrs. Murphy's shoulders and was running her along the passage. Now, you'll be giving me apoplexy, Miss, surely with your goings-on, cried the woman breathlessly as she opened the door next to theirs. Who's in there? Two freshies? Yes, Miss. They only just arrived an hour ago. Greenies from Greenville, Green County, chanted the young woman, who did not seem to mind being overheard by the entire household. Very well. I'll take this little hole in the wall. I won't move any of my things in except some books and cushions. And now off with you. Here's something for your trouble. Oh, thank you. Thank you, miss. 
the two girls seemed to hear the Irishwoman being shoved out in the hall. Then the door was banged after her and locked. Dear me! What an obstreperous person, observed Nance. I wonder if she's going to give us a continuous performance. I don't know, answered Molly. She'll be a noisy neighbor if she does. But she sounds interesting, living in France with her grandmama and so on. Nance glanced at her watch. Wouldn't you like to go for a stroll before supper? We have an hour yet. I'm dying to see the famous quadrangle and the cloisters and a few other celebrated spots I've heard about, aren't you? And incidentally, rub off a little of our greenness, said Molly, recalling the words of the girl next door. As the two girls closed the door to their room and paused on the landing, the door adjoining burst open and a human whirlwind blew out of the single room and almost knocked them over. I beg your pardon, said Nance stiffly, giving the human whirlwind a long, cool, brown glance. Molly, a little behind her friend, examined the stranger with much curiosity. She could not quite tell why she had imagined her to be a small, black-eyed, black-haired person when here stood a tall, very beautiful young woman. Her hair was light brown and perfectly straight. She had peculiarly passionate, fiery eyes of very dark gray, of the smoldering kind, as Nance described them later. Her features were regular, and her mouth so expressive of her humors that her friends could almost read her thoughts by the curve of her sensitive lips. Even in that flashing glimpse, the girls could see that she was beautifully dressed in a white serge suit and a stunning hat of dull blue trimmed with wings. But instead of continuing her mad rush, which seemed to be her usual manner of doing things, the young woman became suddenly a zephyr of mildness and gentleness. Excuse my precipitate methods, she said. I never do things slowly, even when there's no occasion to hurry. It's my way, I suppose. Are you freshmen? Perhaps you'd like for me to show you around college. I'm a soph. I'm fairly familiar. Nance pressed her lips together. She was not in the habit of making friends offhand. Molly, in fact, was almost her first experience in this kind of friendship. But Molly Brown, who had never consciously done a rude thing in her life, exclaimed, That would be awfully nice. Thanks. We'll come. They followed her rather timidly down the steps. Across the campus, the pile of gray buildings in the September twilight more than ever resembled a fine old castle. As they hastened along, the sophomore gave them each a quick, comprehensive glance. My name is Frances Andrews, she began suddenly, and added with a peculiar intonation. I was called Frank last year. I'm so glad we are to be neighbors. I hope we shall have lots of good times together. Molly considered this a particular mark of good nature on the part of an older girl to two freshmen, and she promptly made known their names to Frances Andrews. All this time, Nance had remained impassive and quiet. Ten girls, arm in arm, were strolling toward them across the soft green turf of the campus, singing as in one voice to the tune of Maryland, my Maryland. Oh, Wellington, my Wellington, oh, how I love my Wellington. Suddenly, Frances Andrews, who was walking between the two young girls, took them each firmly by the arm and led them straight across the campus, giving the ten girls a wide berth. There was so much fierce determination in her action that Molly and Nance looked at her with amazement. Are those seniors? asked Nance, thinking perhaps it was not college etiquette to break through a line of established and dignified characters like seniors. No, they are sophomores singing their class song, answered Frances. Aren't you a sophomore? demanded Nance quickly. Yes. Curious she doesn't want to meet her friends, thought Molly. But there were more interesting sights to occupy her attention just then. They had reached the great gray stone archway which formed the entrance to the quadrangle. 
a grassy courtyard enclosed on all sides by the walls of the building heavy oak doors of an antique design opened straight onto the court from the various corridors and lecture rooms and at one end was the library a beautiful room with a groined roof and stained glass windows like a chapel low stone benches were ranged along the arcade of the court whereon sat numerous girls laughing and talking together although she considered that undue honors were being paid them by having as guide this dashing sophomore somehow molly still felt the icy grip of homesickness on her heart nance seemed so unsympathetic and reserved and there was a kind of hardness about this francis andrews that made the warm-hearted affectionate molly a bit uncomfortable suddenly nance spied her old friend carolyn brenton in the distance and rushed over to join her as she left three girls came toward them talking animatedly hello jenny wren called francis gaily it was the same little bird-like person who had been on the bus howdy rosamond how are you lotta it's awfully nice to be back at the old stand again let me introduce you to my new almost roommate miss brown went on francis hurriedly as if to fill up the gaps of silence which greeted them how do you do miss andrews said jenny wren stiffly rosamond chase who had a plump figure and a round good-natured face was slightly warmer in her greeting how are you frankie i thought you were going to france this winter the other girl who had turned up nose and blonde hair and was called peggy parsons sniffed slightly and put her hands behind her back as if she wished to avoid shaking hands molly was so shocked that she felt the tears rising to her eyes i wish i had never come to college she thought if this is the way old friends treat each other she slipped her arm through francis andrews's and gave it a sympathetic squeeze won't you show me the cloisters she said i'm pining to see what they are like come along said francis quite cheerfully in spite of the fact that she had just been snubbed by three of her own classmates lifting the latch of a small oak door fitted under a pointed arch she led the way through a passage to another oak door which opened directly on the cloisters molly gave an exclamation of pleasure oh she cried are we really allowed to walk in this wonderful place as much as you like before six p m answered francis how do you do miss pembroke a tall woman with a grave handsome face was waiting under the arched arcade to go through the door so you decided to come back to us miss andrews i'm very glad of it come into my office a moment i want a few words with you before supper you can find your way back to queen's by yourself can't you miss brown asked francis i'll see you later and in another moment molly brown was quite alone in the cloisters she was glad to be alone she wanted to think she paced slowly along the cloistered walk each stone arch of which framed a picture of the grassy court with an italian fountain in the centre it's exactly like an old monastery she said to herself i wonder anybody could ever be frivolous or flippant in such an old world spot as this i could easily imagine myself a monk telling my beads she sat down on a stone bench and folded her hands meditatively so far i've really only made one friend at college she thought to herself for nance oldham was too reserved to be called a friend yet and that friend is frances andrews who is she what is she why do her classmates snub her and why did miss pembroke who belonged to the faculty wish to speak with her in her private office it was all queer very queer somehow it seemed to molly now that what she had taken for whirlwind manners was really a tremendous excitement under which francis andrews was laboring she was trying to brazen out something just the same i'm sorry for her she said out loud 
At that moment, a musical, deep-throated bell boomed out six times in the stillness of the cloisters. There was the sound of a door opening, a pause, and the door closed with a clicking noise. Molly started from her reverie. It was six o'clock. She rushed to the door of the antique design through which she had entered just fifteen minutes before. It was closed and locked securely. She knocked loudly and called, Let me out! Let me out! I'm locked in! Then she waited, but no one answered. In the stillness of the twilight courtyard, she could hear the sounds of laughter and talking from the quadrangle. They grew fainter and fainter. A gray chill settled down over the place, and Molly looked about her with a feeling of utter desolation. She had been locked in the cloisters for the night. End of chapter 2